Wow, the Spirit of God is in this place tonight. Amen. Uh, can we just tell God thank you for this, this worship team leading us before the throne of God uh, even on tonight? Can we just put our hands together for them? Wow. Listen, before I was a preacher or a pastor or anything else, I'm a worshiper, amen? And uh, thank you just for uh, leading us into God's presence today. Uh, Just uh, the arc, the narrative arc that you carried us through uh, in worship. uh, To understand and recognize that through the storm, right, uh, he is Lord, right? To understand that fervent heart that's seeking after him. Uh, and to understand and recognize that we want a heart that worships after him. So uh, even as we've been journeying uh, this morning and tonight to uh, allow God's spirit and presence to redirect our gaze and reappropriate our position uh, so that we're focusing uh, on what God has for us. Amen. 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 Listen, I want to jump in tonight and just be able to share what I believe God has uh, continued to lay uh, on my heart for us uh, together as a family. Uh, I'm going to be in uh, Luke, the seventh chapter, Luke, the seventh chapter in the 36th verse. And if you're able to track with me, uh, I would appreciate it. I want to say thank you to all the hospitality and the warmth of the welcome that you have given me already. And so I'm just, I'm feeling like family in this place. Is that all right? Uh, And uh, I hope I can just be myself uh, because I don't know how to be anybody else, but I'm trying to be myself uh, in the midst of of what God is doing. In in Luke, the seventh chapter in the 36th verse, uh, we encounter a narrative of Jesus interacting with someone who's a little bit messy. And in the midst of that messiness, uh, Jesus uh, redirects the direction of some of the condemnation that is present and presents some lessons that I think can be insightful uh, for us even tonight. In Luke, the seventh chapter, in the 36th verse, uh, we pick up and it says it this way. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And in verse 37, and a woman in that city who was a sinner, having learned that he was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster jar of ointment. She stood before him at his feet, wiping, weeping, and began to bathe his feet with her tears and dry them with her hair. Then she continued kissing his feet and anointing them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known what kind of woman this was who was touching him, that she is a sinner." Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. A certain creditor had two debts. He owed, he one owed 500 denarii and the other owed 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debts for both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he canceled the greater debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kisses, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. 
and she has shown great love. But the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. But those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Would you pray with me even as we approach this passage today? God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, God who has brought us this far along the way, I pray that the words of my mouth and the collective meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. God, our strength and our redeemer. Give us ears to hear, minds to comprehend, hearts to receive. And God, give us a zealousness of life, not just to hear your word, but to live it out each and every day. We'll be careful to give your name the glory, the honor, the adoration, the thanksgiving, and praise. And ask this now in Jesus' mighty and matchless name. Amen and amen. Listen, would you help me place a particular title on this text uh, by helping me uh, preach this message by looking at somebody and just telling them, uh, look, look at it, look at them, give them a wonderful crown smile. Come on, look at them, look at them, give them a wonderful crown smile and said, uh, you're a candidate. Oh, come on, come on, come on. Y'all, y'all, y'all going to have to work with me tonight. We're, we're, we're going to engage in repetitive preaching. And so you're going to help me and I'm going to help you. Amen. So look at somebody and look at them and tell them with a big smile, you're a candidate. Uh, we're almost there. We're going to try it one more time. We're almost there. Look at them, give them a smile, tell them you're a candidate for a cleanup. For a cleanup. Your God, all right, all right, all right. You're a candidate for a cleanup. Uh, the reason I engage in that in that way is because many times I need us to be able to uh, 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 help me in the midst of this. Because like I shared before, this is not just a one-way street. I want you to participate fully in this particular message. Uh, as we're thinking and looking at this particular passage, uh, we, we see someone who has been rejected in life. I, I don't know about you, but one of the things that I hate is rejection. Rejection can be painful. It can be hurtful. It's that rejection when you feel as though you're not picked for the particular team. The rejection when you uh, get unfriended or uh, they unfollow you and you know they unfollow you because they don't have that little dot anymore next to your name. That those moments where you uh, receive that letter in the mail from that dream graduate program that you want to be accepted to and they say, we're sorry to inform you, but we've gone in a different direction, uh, that, 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 that rejection when you uh, face someone, that young man or young woman uh, who you have a desire to get to know a little bit more and they don't have the same desire to get to know you. That, that, that rejection when you go after job interview after job interview and you're about to graduate and you're trying to find placement in your field of study and it seems as though all the answers are not even no, but they don't even return the email that you've lifted up. Rejection can be painful. Rejection can be hurtful. And many times we shy away and we don't even enter into moments of trying because we're afraid to feel the rejection we have tasted previously. But it is the author, James Baldwin, who says, you cannot fix what you do not face. 
And I want to call us to sometimes face those moments of rejection in our lives. Those moments where we feel as though we're paralyzed by the experiences of being rejected. We we feel the disapproval. We feel the exclusion. We feel ostracized in the midst of it. But I'd like to also suggest tonight that in the midst of those rejected moments, Jesus shows up. Uh, It it is Howard Thurman, uh, uh, the theological writer and spiritualist, who says it this way. uh, Jesus has a romance with the rejected. That that Jesus specializes and is attracted to those others have classified and misclassified as losers and dropouts. But but Jesus has a ministry and embraces the troubled. He embraces all throughout the text of scripture, the lepers and the unclean and the tax collectors and the lame and the deaf and the adulterers and the children and the demonized and the disenfranchised and the marginalized and the ostracized and the paralyzed. He embraces those who are going through broken moments and are feeling rejected. As we look at this passage just for a few moments on tonight, we find this is an interesting narrative. It's interesting because it's one of the few accounts in the Gospels that's recorded in all four Gospel accounts. It's lifted up in Matthew 26 and Mark the 14th chapter in John the 12th chapter and also in our passage for tonight in Luke the 7th chapter. Where we find Jesus encountering uh, this woman. Now there's various uh, delineations and various inclusions in the various uh, gospel uh, uh, presentations of this particular narrative. Uh, And and our narrative is unique uh, because it analyzes it from the perspective uh, of this woman in the house of this Pharisee. Uh, and uh, And a parable that's lifted up concerning debt. And as we encounter this text, we find Jesus encounters someone who has been rejected. But the good news about when we encounter Jesus in the midst of our rejection is we may come to Jesus rejected. But we leave from his presence redeemed. That there's a shift that takes place in the midst of this. And I believe there's some lessons this particular passage is tailored to teach us, to help guide us and direct us in our own spiritual journey. That the first thing that I believe that we can observe from this passage is is this, that rejected people know how to be radical. Rejected people know how to be radical. In, In this passage, in verse number 37, it says this woman in the city who was a sinner, having learned that Jesus was eating in the Pharisee's house, brought her alabaster jar of ointment. She stood before him at his feet, weeping and beginning to bathe his feet with her tears and dry them with her hair. She continued kissing his feet and anointing them with ointment. Here here we find a a woman within this particular cultural context who had been excluded from the normal reality of life. Not only had she been excluded because of her gender, but, but the text also lets us know that other people identified her as a sinner. Uh, She didn't necessarily define herself that way, but we understand and recognize people saw her. And when they saw her, they did not see her, but rather they saw her past. I think it's always problematic when people define you by your past rather than the potential that God has placed concerning you. That that, that this woman enters into a moment where people are looking at her and judging her by what she has done rather than who she is. 
And as she enters into this moment, she, she finds as though she is bent over and discouraged. But yet in the midst of her state of being identified as sinful, she has enough sense to say, even though I'm broken, even though I'm sinful, even though I have made mistakes and messed up and turned from the direction God has called me to turn, I still have enough sense to know when I'm broken, I need to get to Jesus. And I like to suggest tonight to somebody even in this room, you may have even started the semester and said, you, you don't know what happened to me. You don't know what I experienced. You don't know, know the pain. You don't know the past. You, you don't know my struggles. You don't know my issues. I, I, I don't know, but I can suggest uh, that Jesus knows. And not only does Jesus know, but he's available to be present with you. Here, here she is, this woman who has been rejected. Rejected, but yet still radical because she finds Jesus. Not only does she find Jesus, but the Bible lets us know what she lets down her hair which in that particular context was a social no-no that you were not supposed to do. It was seen uh, as not uh, appropriate. It was seen as out of order. But yet as she let down her hair, she was not concerned about the audience who was around her, but rather than the mass, she was concerned about the master who was before her. And when you get desperate enough to know him, doesn't matter if people talk about you. doesn't matter if people look in your direction and say, who do they think that they are? When you're in desperate need for Jesus, radical people, rejected people get ridiculous around him. She unties her hair and she bows down before him. She cries out and says in this moment that she doesn't want anything from him but just to worship him. Have you ever been in a desperate place of faith where, where, where you're saying, God, I feel as though I'm in a place where I need you desperately, where all the other options have been closed off. All the other avenues have been shut off. It's someone who says it this way. Sometimes your only available transportation is a leap of faith. Where you say, I don't know what to do, I don't know where to go, but I do know I need him. Uh, it is a, a great alliance pastor and scholar and a prolific uh, teacher and writer, A.W. Tozer, who says it this way. Before we can be used greatly by God, many times we have to be broken deeply. And sometimes we have to go through those breaking moments for God to build something in us. As we shared earlier this morning, some, sometimes we don't even know how strong we are until we go through those breaking moments that you're able to realize, I didn't know I could get past my past. I, I, I didn't know I could see clearly despite the tears. I, I didn't know I could still stand despite having the wind knocked out of me. And sometimes it's not until you enter into those moments of desperation that you recognize how great God is in you. Some of you, even in this room, you may be putting it together and trying to hold it together. But on the inside, you view, you understand and recognize that if people knew your story and people knew your narrative and people knew what you experienced in life, they would be amazed that you're still holding it together. Here we find a woman who's in a place where she has been rejected. 
But yet in the place of being rejected, she still has this radical revolutionary call to say, despite my rejection, I'm still going to lean in towards Jesus. Not, not only do rejected people know how to be radical, but we also find from this text that sometimes refined people fail to remember they once were rejected. Uh, Sometimes uh, when when we've come out the other side, we fail to remember that one time the struggle was real for us as well. Here, I believe this is found in this passage. In uh, this text, we find that Jesus is entering into this Pharisee's house and says, uh, now when the Pharisee had entered and invited him in, he said to himself, uh, if this man were a prophet, he would have known what kind of woman this was who was touching him, that she is a sinner. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he replied, speak. He said, a certain creditor had two debtors, one owed 500 nary and the other 50. Uh, When they could not pay, he canceled the debts of both of them. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one who has canceled the greater debt. Here we find that this Pharisee, Simon, is criticizing Jesus uh, for being near to someone who is broken. And, and as he's criticizing Jesus, Jesus responds with a parable. And he starts to ask questions concerning this. And, and I like to push this particular passage and suggest maybe not only is this a challenge towards this woman, but it's also a challenge towards this Pharisee. Here we find that Luke calls this brother Simon the Pharisee. Uh, he says, you know, uh, here's the Simon the Pharisee, you know what's supposed to be taking place in the midst of this moment. The Pharisees were the religious leaders. They, they were the super duper folks who had it all together supposedly that there is nothing that was out of order concerning them. But, but may I suggest maybe even some of the Pharisees had a pass. As I look at the other accounts of this text in Matthew and in Mark, we find that the passage doesn't say that he visits Simon the Pharisee, but in the other accounts, he's called Simon the leper. This is problematic for me because lepers within that society were ceremonially unclean. They, they, they were not supposed to be gaining access to. You would certainly would not be eating at a leper's house. You, you wouldn't be eating at the house of someone who had leprosy. But yet the text still lifts these individuals up, uh, this individual up as Simon the leper. But yet in our text, we call, see him called Simon the Pharisee. And some scholars have suggested, and I, I would also like to sermonically suggest, that, that, that maybe Simon wasn't always a Pharisee. Maybe he also had a past as a leper. Maybe he also had some brokenness in his past and was supernaturally transformed and healed. But yet in the midst of those moments, he had forgotten who God was in his life. Please, beloved, let us not get to the place where in the midst of our growing and development, we forget what Jesus has done in us. And as a result, we condemn him doing something in somebody else. 
Uh, we, we, we cannot have what I would like to suggest spiritual amnesia and forget who we are and forget what God has done in our lives. Let, let me let me tell you a story to illustrate it. To, uh, I'll talk about me because that's the only person I, I can I can make fun of tonight. Here, here, here it was. Uh, I, I was a brand new uh, pastor uh, at a church in uh, downtown Brooklyn, New York, and, and I was fresh out of seminary and I had all the right doctrine. I had all the right theology and I knew how church was supposed to operate and how things were so to be ordered, uh, and I just knew I had to be right about everything. I, I, I was uh, uh, had a whole bunch of, bunch of arrogance, hubris, uh, uh, attitude, and ego all mixed together in one. Uh, and, and in the midst of this, in the midst of this, uh, uh, as I was leading a particular service, I, I got word that one of the ushers, the people who was greeting the people as they entered into the sanctuary, one of the ushers was intoxicated. One of the ushers was drunk. And I said, how can this be, I lost my mind. I ran down to where things were. I didn't ask any questions. I said, how can this be? I looked at her. I said, what are you doing? I hear uh, that you are drunk and welcoming people into the sanctuary. What is wrong with you? I dressed her up one side and down the other. I said, you're a disgrace to the pastor, a disgrace to the church and a disgrace to God almighty that you would come in this way. I gave her a piece of my mind till I had no mind left. And in the midst of this, the senior pastor called me into his office. And he said, listen, Charles, I I heard we had a problem uh, in in the service today. I said, yeah, we had a problem, but with my chest all out, I said, I handled it. I I, I took care of it. Uh, it, it's, It's all fixed. He said, well, what did you do? And I told him exactly what I did and how I told her how she was out of order and how she had done this and all the things that she had had done wrong. And he said in that moment something I'll never forget. He said, Charles, uh, did you ever start to think to say, you know this woman in our congregation. She's never come in to the sanctuary like this before. And this is the first time she's acted like this. Did you ask any following questions to say why and what was going on? I had to admit, I said, no, I just saw a problem and I ran to fix it. And he said, maybe you should have asked somebody why. Now, was it appropriate for her to be intoxicated in the sanctuary? No. But did you ask why and what was going on? He said, if you had asked why and what was going on, you would have come to the realization that this woman just the previous day had received a phone call from her at her house to go down into the park at the bottom of her apartment building. And when she would get to the bottom of her apartment building, she would see her only son shot and killed before her. You know what that does to you? To think that you are Holy Spirit Jr., Jesus Jr. trying to get things right and miss it. I missed it because I wasn't able to see in the midst of her rejection and pain. She did not need my instruction, my discipline, and my ranting. She needed the presence of God. And in the midst of our lives, in the midst of our brokenness, the midst of our rejection, in the midst of our messiness, 
We need God's presence to show up. Here we find in this passage, not only, not only uh, do refined people fail to remember that they once were rejected, but I also like to suggest rejected people have a ridiculous worship relationship with God. Here we find this woman in verse 47. It says, says, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, were forgiven. I, I have forgiven her since she has shown great love. For the one who has little to is forgiven loves little. But the one who has been forgiven much loves much. Here, this woman that no one else saw, Jesus saw. He saw her pain. He saw her ridicule. He saw her abandonment. She, he saw all the challenges that we, she was facing. And while everyone else was focused on other things, Jesus was focused on her. He comes, she comes to his house, uh, this Pharisee's house, and he doesn't do anything for him. But this woman who has been rejected and ridiculed bows down before Jesus, washes his feet, kisses his feet, anoints him with oil. Because she recognizes it's not the Pharisees and it's not the religious leaders who can deliver and forgive and change her life. But it's only the power of Jesus. And here she is. She's not intimidated by what other people are doing or how other people are looking at her. But she recognizes her past but says, my past does not preclude me from the present that God has for me. And some of us are real good at giving antiseptic, edited versions of our testimonies. When Jesus is calling for the fullness of us, the messiness and the pain of us to be laid out so that he can heal. And when he does heal, when he does deliver, when he does set us free, it pushes us and propels us into a place of, of truly understanding and recognizing who we are. It, it's a repositioning. And Jesus repositions this woman in regards to who she is. It, it's like this. I, I take my kids to, to school and uh, every day I pick them up from school. And, and I think I shared with you, I have an eight-year-old son and a five-year-old daughter. And, and my five-year-old daughter swears up and down that she's a princess for real. Ain't nobody tell her. She just knows it for herself. She, she, she's, she thinks she's so much a princess that she wears a tiara on her head when she goes to school. The school won't allow her uh, to put the tiara on in school. So she'll put it in her book bag. But as soon as I pick her up from school, she snatches that thing out and puts it on her head and swears up and down that she's a princess for real. So much so, now, 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 now her brother, it agitates her brother. And one particular day we were going from a school and I picked them up and she, as soon as we do it, got into the car, she pulls out the tiara and puts it on her head. And that day my son was not having it and he snatches the tiara off of her head. 
and holds it away from her. Her name is Malia and says, Malia, I got your tiara. You ain't the princess no more. You ain't nobody. So he's just talking trash. He's like, boy, boy, he's, he's going all the way in on her. And so she's getting frustrated. She's getting upset. She's getting angry because he snatched the tiara off of her head. And she's getting frustrated in this moment. And she's looking for options. He's trying to reach for it, trying to grab it. He's bigger and stronger than she is. She can't do anything to get it from him. And so she does something that is profound as well as, I believe, prophetic. She, she, she recognizes that in her own power and her own strength, she can't get back her position as the princess. But she does know that if she's able to get the attention of someone who has more power and authority than she does, that she may have the potential and potential of getting that tiara back on her head. And so there in the back seat of the car, she looks at CJ with an eye towards him and then opens up her mouth and cries out, Daddy! CJ took my tiara. And you know, like a daddy does, that's my baby girl. You know, that, 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 that's my girl right there. I, I, I had to turn the car to the side of the road, look back at my son and said, who do you think you are? Snatching the tiara off her, her head up. Give that back and put it back on her her head. Can you come here even right now when the enemy of your soul tries to denigrate and tear you down and try to misappropriate who you are? You may not have the ability and the strength with inside of you, but I'm here to let you know you have an opportunity to open up your mouth and cry out to one who's greater and stronger than you. The Lord is your light and your salvation. Whom shall you fear? You can call on your heavenly father and he is able to meet you at the point of your need here we find here we find in the midst of this passage this woman doesn't run uh, to the pharisees for forgiveness she does she doesn't run to the systems and the places of position for who she is but but rather she runs up to the one who is greater than her and as she runs to him he reminds her of who she is and whose she is. He forgives her sins and heals her wounds and strengthens her body. And while she was not even an invited guest, she made her way to the place and was able to experience the power of God in and through her life. And I want to encourage you on this day in the midst of our rejection, in the midst of our pain, and the midst of what others may have tried to redefine you as, you've got to know who you are and whose you are. And I want to encourage somebody on this night, in the midst of rejected, difficult, challenging moments, know that greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. Let me leave you with this last illustration. Uh, you can tell I spend too much time with the kids because that's my main illustrations. Uh, but I'll I, I, I put it this way. 
Uh, uh, my, my kids are, are minding their business and uh, they're uh, there in the, the tub taking a bath. My daughter's taking a bath and as she's taking a bath, she has one of the little rubber duckies. You know, you know the little rubber duckies. Uh, and she's fascinated with the rubber ducky. Uh, she's so fascinated with the rubber ducky, uh, she's getting frustrated because she's trying to push uh, the rubber ducky underneath the water. And every time she pushes the rubber ducky underneath the water, it keeps on popping uh, back up. Uh, and so she'll push it down and it pops back up and she'll push it down again and it pops back up and she's fascinated with this and, and she's trying to ask me questions about what this is and what's going on with this and, and as she's asking me questions I say I start to tell her uh, baby uh, the reason the rubber ducky can't be drowned in the water uh, is because there's space in the rubber ducky where there's an air pocket. And the air pocket is there so every time the ducky goes underneath the water, because of what's on the inside of the ducky, it cannot drown, but rather is pushed back up uh, to uh, the surface. And I'd like to sermonically suggest on tonight, uh, every time folks try to define and confine who you are with rejection, and even in our own minds when we try to define and confine ourselves with rejections of what we can't do and what we can't accomplish and what God won't do uh, that try to drown us. You've got to remember there's something called the Holy Spirit that's on the inside of you and every time it looks as though uh, you're about to drown, what's on the inside of you pushes you back up. Every time it seems as though it's over. Every time it seems as though depression and discouragement will get the best of you. You've got to remember there's something on the inside of you called the Holy Spirit that's working in the midst of you to move you from where you are. So be encouraged on tonight here at Crown College despite what it looks like. Despite what others may say. Even despite what we even may speak over ourselves. If God be for us, who can be against us? God's presence is present in the midst of us. And what other people have rejected, God is still bringing back up to the service. Can I brag on the God that we serve in spite of what you're facing and despite of what you're going through, you serve a God who's still the Alpha and the Omega. You serve a God who's still the bread of life. You serve a God who's still the captain and the cornerstone of our lives. You serve a God who is the day star and deliverer. He's an eternal love and an everlasting father. He's a fountain of life and the first and the last. He's the glory of his people and the good shepherd. He is the head of all things and the high priest. He's the intercessor and Emmanuel. He's the judge of the earth and Jesus our savior. He's the king of kings and the kinsman redeemer. He's the lily of the valley and the light of the world. He's the mediator and a mighty God. He's the name that's above all other names. He's the offspring of David and the overcomer. He's the promise of God and the prince of peace. 
peace. He's the quieter every storm in your life. He's the redeemer and the rock and the rose of Sharon. He's the son of God, the shield and the sacrifice for our sin. He's the tree of life and the tabernacle of truth. He's the unblemished lamb and the veil and the vine. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He has done exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask, think, or imagine. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And he's Zion's holy king. You have a God who has a romance with the rejected. And is able to meet us in those places and spaces and minister to our hearts and minds. It's not just this woman, but it's each and every one of us who have felt the tinge, the twang and the hurt and pain of rejection to know God still calls you. And God still calls you out of those rejected places to be radical lovers and worshipers of an almighty God. Would you receive that on tonight? And even in this chapel experience, even in this space tonight, there's some of us who have felt the pain of rejection the hurt of folks who have tried to define us. You have to be careful about people who try to define you. Because if people try to define you, they'll try to confine you. And if people try to label you, they'll try to limit you. And some of us have even done it for ourselves. But even in the midst of this week, I believe God is rewriting and reorienting us to a radical love relationship with him. Even in this moment, as you could bow your heads and close your eyes with me. And even in this moment, for some who have even disqualified themselves, many times based off what someone else has spoken over you it may have been a teacher when you were in elementary school it may have been a friend who was mean and not thoughtful in their words towards you it may have been even yourself because you're afraid to fail and because you're afraid to fail you haven't even started or tried it's in those moments i believe god wants to heal something in you. If you ever felt that, if you ever felt that, and we're not looking to the left or to the right, but this is between you and God. If you ever felt those moments of rejection and pain, you say, God, I want healing for those hurt places. I invite you even right where you are, even with your eyes closed and heads bowed, to lift up your hands in a universal sign of surrender as a response unto God. To just lift up your hands and to say, God, in the midst of this, I'm open and available to whatever you want to do in me. A prayer that I pray in our congregation and that I'd like to pray over you on today is this. God, 
do whatever you need to do in me so you can do whatever you need to do through me. God, I pray for those with their hands lifted and a universal sign of surrender unto you, God. Admitting, Father God, our brokenness and our woundedness. Some self-inflicted and others afflicted by other people. Would you enter into those rejected places and pull out radical, redeemed worshipers that we would orient ourselves towards your presence and away from the words, the thoughts, and the deeds others have tried to define us with. God, continue to do this work in us. Seal it in us even tonight as we seek to do your will and purpose. Dismiss us even tonight with your sweetest benediction. Guide our time together until we're able to join together tomorrow in your presence and with your power. We thank you. We honor you. And we lift your name up. In Jesus' name we declare, amen, amen, and amen. Let the peace of the Lord guide, direct, and strengthen you as you walk, not as rejected, but as radical worshipers of the King. God bless you and look forward to seeing you tomorrow.